Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. With the boys in black and white going back to back and saying see ya to Siva, toppling the terriers and tearing up the table, there's very much a cause for celebration in the studio today. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host this evening. With me are three Fulhamish stalwarts, our resident away day expert, the Viscount of VKs, Don Betts is here. Hello, hello. It's the wise owl of this podcast, the cottage calculator, Farrell Monk's here. Wise owl, I like it. You are a wise, wise owl, <laughs> And our venerable website editor, the stat supremo, George Singer, is here. You right, mate? Yeah, how are we doing, boys? All good? Not bad, mate. Yeah, very, very good. good. Very good. It's very nice good. to have a weekend where the football gets out of the way real quick and then you can you know, sort of just enjoy yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I spent zero time looking at my the football results yesterday. How nice is that? It was very nice. It was very nice. Fulham for a little while were nearly top of the table and then, you know, other things happened. But <laughs> yeah. apart other teams that, had to play off. We're, we're a point off top. You know, it's okay after after three games. You take that. So yeah, I also think that. one of the good things is the teams who actually have started quite well are teams who will eventually drop off. If you look at the likes of Mill, it looks at the likes of Charlton, seven points from nine, uh, seven points out of nine for the first three games. I think that it's again Cardiff losing today. It's actually good that the teams we expect to be up there come the end of the season haven't started greatly. That's always a good help. Yeah, it is very much so. Right, Farrell, let's start as ever with some three-word reviews from that Huddersfield victory. Your honours. Uh, yeah, so there was quite a lot of Cess-related three-word reviews. We had uh, Luke Reich's bringing Cessy back, um, uh, Lest Wyatt's sign more Cessignons, um, and Aaron McGugan's uh, success succession plan executed. And we had succession. some succession. That's yeah, good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and a couple of other ones. Our favourite Richard Bamber with Ivan the Terrible, and finally. <laughs> TJ Foggs 46 with winning with worldies. I was um, posting our three word review at the end of the game and I realised there was about 25 seconds to go and I was like, ooh, I haven't thought of one <laughs> at this point. And so I was quite pleased that out of nowhere popping the carver. Yeah, yeah, I like that as well. Was, um, pleased myself. So, right, before we get started, please remember to rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Facebook. It really does help us to grow, reach more Fulham fans and please obviously keep sharing with your friends and family who are all Fulham fans as well. Let's get into Huddersfield. Dom, you were there, as ever. As ever. As ever. I don't know, imagine how much of the game you saw, but we did start slowly, and usually usually you've seen a bit the first half. Yeah, no, no, the first half an hour was quite turgid and quite dull, I don't think. But it seems it was like that against Blackburn as well. It seems we are starting quite slow at the moment, you say the same for the Barnsley game, so I don't know if that's a specific problem or it's just a coincidence from those three games. But yeah, the, fir- the first half hour, 35 minutes was... Because um, obviously, obviously, I'm not going to the last... No, I don't, need, I don't need any more from you. I'm only going to ask you. Yeah, so no, no. I thought, we, I thought it, was, it was quite a slow start to the game. But, you know, Huddersfield weren't exactly causing us problems, I'd say. So it wasn't too much an issue. And then obviously, we just got the job done in the second half anyway. Absolutely. That is becoming a bit of a thing, Farrell. Um, the st- slow start under Scott. Yeah, it, it, I mean, for some reason, I, I don't think it would be Fulham unless we, you know, do not even hear the starting block gun for about, you know, 15 minutes into the game. I'm quite used to Fulham starting slow. I mean, under Slavisa for quite, you know, a good couple of years, you know, we had that thing where I remember right at the back of the start, the start when we were the podcast days a few years ago when we would talk about 
we would never score in the first 30 minutes. And then after we, we highlighted that, we end up going on this run of scoring every game in the first 30 minutes. But, you know, hopefully we can get into that eventually this season. But, you know, it's it's a 90-minute game. We seem to be, you know, we'll talk about the, the second half in particular. I thought overall it's a very, very good performance um, against, you know, Huddersfield didn't play that badly for the first half, I thought. They did create a couple of chances here and there, not like really clear-cut ones, but, you know, their, their high-press did seem to work to some extent. But what was really pleasing was the fact we were able to withstand that pressure as well. Mawson and Ream in particular were, it was if it was if there was no one charging in at them and they were very easily be able to, able to you know, withstand that pressure, stay calm and break the lines with their forward and positive passing. Absolutely. George, they started very much with that high press and pressing high and it did cause us trouble for the first 20 minutes. But after that, our press really did seem to kick in and that was something that I was really pleased with on the, on Friday. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really liked particularly Steph and Kearney together, you know, racing up upfield and putting loads of pressure on their defence. With them and um, the wingers and Mitrovic up front, it felt like we were swarming them at times, put a lot of pressure on them. And then the keeper only had one option, which was to, you know, knock it long forward. And then that's where our defenders would come into their own. It, it seemed a really good way of getting the ball back. Clearly, Scotty's done his homework there. It felt like for the first time, you know, since Scott's taken over, it felt like he had a bit of a plan. He had a vision of how we wanted to play and the players were all kind of pulling in the same direction in that regard. So, yeah, definitely good. And I think to add to Farrell's point as well, I thought Harry Arter, considering he was literally, he was man-marked by, uh, was it O'Brien, the um, yeah. the Huddersfield midfielder? He was man by, man-marked by him the whole game. And considering, you know, he never had this guy less than a metre away from him, I thought he did a pretty good job. Um, he linked up nicely with defenders. You know, he bought helped bring the play and tris- transition from defence uh, into attack. So for me, yeah, definitely one of the uh, one of the standout players. One of our three word reviews was actually Arter intercepted this, uh, which I hmm. which I did enjoy. He was very much at the heart of everything good about Fulham's interception game in, in the first half. Yeah, I mean, less about his him on the ball. Uh, so much he did quite a lot on the ball as you, he did link up with the defense quite well there was a few awry passes that seemed just you know easy ones that were just not good enough to be honest but off the ball he was absolutely outstanding he seems to have this um, anticipation which is second to nine in our team whereby you know it does appear like the ball is going to go into one of their sort of more advanced players you know Callum Grant or um, Alex Pritchard and he'd seem to be like five, ten yards away from him. And even before that ball's gone um, coming to them, he's already on them like an absolute rash. Um, I'm, I'm sure that they're, you know, the Huddersfield um, team are glad to see the back of the brother-in-law of Scott Parker. Indeed, indeed. Dom, we did grow into the game and we made some chances. Cav pushed one narrowly wide early on. And then later on, Joe Bryan, just before halftime, I imagine you were at the bar by that point. Yeah, but definitely. Joe Bryan hammered the ball at the keeper when he perhaps should have squared it. It did, you know, get better. We felt like we were in the ascendancy by the end of the half. I didn't feel like Huddersfield were ever, like, in control of the game or we were under severe threat from them. You know, I think that they've, they're part of this thing that happened to us when we came down, happened to Stoke last season, where you, you do so badly in the Premier League and do get relegated that if you don't get that first win early on, it is just not a downward spiral pretty much. And Stoke probably are still in that downward spiral. I think there there is this pre conception that if you get relegated you're one of the favourites to go up that's not how it works because you've got to change the entire mindset and I felt like there was still some of that mindset there you know what I haven't won a game since February I think it was and mm. which it, did seem like it was ripe for us to throw that oh you know it's, it seemed like it was going to be vintage Fulham because I thought the game had 2-1 all over I don't know who, to who which side but I think it was always going to be a 2-1 game and yeah I, I thought like we were, we were quite lucky in the fact that they weren't massively troubling us yeah absolutely mm. well Scott 
obviously managed to rally the team at half time and there was discussion about this on the on the TV afterwards about how what they'd done at, in that dressing room to try and rally the troops but we came out of the blocks flying out of the blocks and uh, Mitrovic obviously got the early goal massive credit for the assist to Leandro Bakuna <laughs> because you, I've yeah. never seen a cross quite like that before in my entire life but brilliant from Mitro as usual George. yeah absolutely and that's I, I thought he he definitely looked pretty frustrated during the first half he was dropping back I think pretty needlessly like we we had a pretty strong midfield he didn't need to drop back and he kept drop, dropping back and dropping back and you know a few times we got the ball in midfield and then we had no outlet so you know in the clearly at half time Scott had a word with him he stayed more up front and that's what he does best you know he he gives us these moments of magic um and you know if with a looping ball to the back post there's no one you'd rather have there um but yeah I, I think it was a, a pretty you know, clearly, clearly Mitro tried to push up a bit more in the second half. But for me, I thought we pushed pretty well in the first 10 or 15 minutes of the second half. And then the game got really scrappy. It felt like we lost a lot of control. It felt like Johansson and Kenny had lost a lot of their legs by kind of about the 70th minute. Obviously, Reed coming on helped, but I think that's that sub could have been a bit earlier. Um, but yeah, it, it got it, it. It felt it got a little bit scrappy by the second half, but thankfully, a couple of moments of quality uh, did it for us in the end. Absolutely, I think you know, in regard to what you say about him dropping off and not necessarily you know being in those advanced positions, he did manage to free both Knocker and uh, Cavalero a couple of times by dropping off and just playing those really clever flicks around the corner. And when we were you know, we looked a little bit more compact. And you're right, there wasn't really that outlet in the middle. But if we have players like Knockout and like Cavalera, who can both obviously cut inside and finish, something we, we saw later on in the game, having Mitrovic in there to kind of win those flick-ons and, and as they start to read those a little bit more, I do think that can be a, a really potent weapon for us. Yeah, I, I I would, you know, I would disagree with, with what George was saying in terms of Mitrovic because, you know, there were quite a lot of opportunities where Mitrovic was coming short. I think his link-up play with Steffi Hansen was absolutely fantastic for large portions of that game. The amount of times like they were doing one-twos in between each other that the, their midfield and defence just could not live with, just one little movements here and there. And I think that Mitrovic, what he does really well is draw that centre-back towards him to create the space in behind. And that was exposed three, four, five times throughout the game. And... I think it's one of our most potent weapons, especially since if we can absorb this press that some teams might do to us, which Huddersfield tried to do, and you know it was just like water of a duck's back for this Fulham team and how confident they are at passing and and taking it around people. And Kenny did grow into the game. He's had a very quiet first half, but the, as the game went on, he got more and more into it. There was there was one in um, about the hour mark where he he seemed to have two or three people around him and was still able to take the ball forward and pick out Knockhart. Um, out wide, who was an absolute live wire, a passion merchant. Um, not to say that he's uh, <laughs> he's not any good. I can't of... believe you just said that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, let's defend Guy Barlow here. He, you know, if you actually listen to the whole clip, he wasn't criticising his talent. He was just saying that he just he 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 shows a lot of passion, and you know, what's wrong with that? Yeah, I, uh, f for me, I, I think Knockart is definitely he's an individual player. He's got amazing individual qualities, like some of his dribbling and the. Th things he brought to the game were like, you know, no player, I've, uh, no Fulham player I've seen for a long time who'd be able to do that. But there were times where I thought maybe compared to Cavalero, who, you know, maybe didn't have the best individual game, but you always felt Cavalero was linking mm. up with the guys. He was kind of, you know, helping the team. He was passing and, you know, doing the pass and move. And sometimes it felt like Knockhart was maybe, 
you know, just kind of playing for himself and setting up chances for himself. And I, I think disagree that's... a little bit. I think that Cav, in the first half especially, managed to dribble into trouble more times than it was worth. Mm. And, and and I know what you're saying about, you know, looking for that space. But there's something about Knockart that when you when Tom Kearney gets the ball in the middle, you see Knockart's eyes light up and he, and he already is on the move. Whereas Cav, he sort of like looks up and he goes, oh, Kearney's got it. I probably should start running. And, you know, if if he saw the ball coming into Kenny, he should be already on the move. He should be already into the channels past the fullback. And I think Knockart maybe gets it a little bit more, not mm. necessarily to say that that link-up is there. I mean, look, that will come. It'll, it'll take time to build that kind of thing. But in terms of, you know, how we just the team functions and how, you know, you look, once Kenny's got that ball in the 10 spot, you really want him playing into those kind of dangerous areas in the way that he used to do you know in that season yeah. where we went up and he was always trying to slide passes in Dom I don't know what what you were going to make of it well I think you know I think Mitrovic the way he was playing helped the, our wingers play as good as they did because as you said he was dropping deep but then it was creating the space for him to go through I thought it was probably our best where we look best going forward so far this season I'd say I think if you compare it to Barnsley away let's say you know Mitrovic was a lot deeper than that you had Kamara miles up the field with three three and a half miles offside yeah, yeah. it was it, whereas if you look i think george posted the average position map obviously from the game it, it looks like an actual formation there yeah whereas if you look at barnsley even looking at blackburn to an extent it didn't look like there was an actual system in place whereas here you can clearly see what we were trying to do on uh, yes the fullbacks bombing on you know the wingers getting up top as well with mitrovich they weren't necessarily behind him they were actually quite level with him so it was actually more of a three-pronged attack as opposed to two wingers working off a striker we spoke last week on the podcast about the fullbacks not necessarily getting beyond the wingers and how in Scott's system they, they tuck inside a little bit more but we saw more of that this this week and and weirdly it was Stephen Sessignon who I thought was probably going to be the more reserved we did see him tuck inside into a bit of a defensive midfield role a lot in the first half but actually in the second half when Fulham started to pile the pressure on he really did get past his winger and obviously for the winning goal he's the one that gets to the byline and dinks it back in so that's something that was a little bit of a, a surprise in many ways, but also a nice addition. It gives us an extra element going forward, and that's important. Yeah, it's quite clear that um, the wingers have been told to get as wide as possible and hit the chalk to sort of create space for that kind of underlap run that you, you talked about last week. Um, and it, it's quite nice that, you know, if you've got that link-up playing between fullback and, and winger, that it's not so much just a, a straight line that doesn't really break through their lines. And it creates like a nice little triangle if you're linking up with the sun, with the centre mids as well. And it gives a bit more uh, a dynamism to to our attacking play. And yes, uh, it, it you know, to be honest, Stephen Sessignon had a particularly poor first 15 minutes. But my word, did he improve as the, as the game went on? And it wasn't so much so he did, you know... He wasn't like reserved, but he just picked his moments really, really well. And the three times he got forward, and at the three times we actually created something from it. Yeah. You know, he got he got one good cross away. He got he did that one where he literally had the, their fullback, his opposite number, on absolute strings, and managed to get to the byline and dig out a good cross. And then the the third one re, um, uh, results in the in the Cavaliero uh, goal. So his productivity straight away is is fantastic to see. He looked really good Steven Sessegnon. And I know a lot of people there's a lot of sentiment involved in in this and everyone wants him to be good, which is which is always a dangerous kind of precedent. You always want your youngsters to do well, but but him especially. But I thought it was a very solid debut. I thought the card was a little bit harsh if anything, although I can see why the ref gave it. But mostly just really impressed with what Steven Sessegnon did and and the kind of trust that Parker has in him to fill that, fill that kind of inside DM role that he tucked into with Arthur, I thought was impressive. Agreed. I, I thought he played really well. And if you had to 
pick out which player on the pitch had never played a uh, you know a full you know proper league match before you wouldn't ne- you wouldn't have chosen him he looked so comfortable out there especially in the first half when with our wingers pushing up you know so far at the pitch whilst it helped you know really negate their fullbacks out of the game because their fullbacks you know offered absolutely absolutely nothing because they were getting pinned back so much it did mean that Sessegnon a lot of times didn't have a you know a huge amount of support and he dealt with it so well in the first half I thought he was a bit more reserved which is probably understandable considering it's his first game but in the second half he picked his moments to go forward really well looked really comfortable on the ball and he showed that he's got a, a pretty good cross on him so you know in the race for right back at the moment with him Adoy and Christie you know for me Sessegnon would be the be the favorite mm. at the moment it's a shame for Adoy because I thought he did have have quite a good game against against um Blackburn and he obviously just picked up a knock in in training in the week which uh, by the sounds of it sounds like it's only going to be a limited one and he should be back for the Millwall game hopefully but you know you, you can't see Stephen being being dropped considering as you're quite rightly saying you wouldn't say it was his he didn't look like he had his his first pro- uh, professional game I tell you who he did was actually Janino Bakuna was he looked unbelievably poor that game and I was surprised he wasn't hauled off at half time and and brought off on Shavala, who who actually looked really good for them. He yeah, was actually a, everywhere. But I, it shows the difference in quality of, of of players that we have at our disposal, where, you know, you have a Doy who has played really well against Blackburn. We're able to bring in a high-quality young young player and substitute. And, you know, as much as criticism Cyrus Christie gets, he's still probably, you know, up there in the... He would walk into quite a lot of the teams in the championship as well. Yeah, I mean, look, we have options, which is always a good thing. And, and we heard that kind of rotation system. We saw how it worked with Scott Malone, and Ryan Sessegnon on that first season, and, and that's got to be a, an option for us going forward. Dom, we were in complete control of the game. Knockout should have scored to make it 2-0. We hadn't let their fullbacks do anything for the entire game, and then we let one of them cross it, and they scored. What was your take on the goal? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of vintage Fulham. Like, <laughs> it seems vintage championship Fulham going over the last three seasons in the division. So, yeah, it was it, it was annoying that we just gave him such an easy opportunity to score from. It's a brilliant header, to be fair. Yeah, it's great, yeah. Colin Grant. It doesn't seem they're going to score any. Anyone else is going to score any goals for Huddersfield at this stage? I think he's the only player to have scored for them this season. Was it two penalties and that header now? But yeah, I mean, Colin Grant. I can't. I can't even see him lasting this season at Huddersfield. I can see someone snapping him up in the January transfer window if they they continue the poor run they're already on. So yeah, it was annoying, but I still felt like even though when they scored that equaliser, we were still good again retake the lead I felt like we were pushing forward enough we were going to create the chances so for me it was it was annoying to concede that sort of goal but I always f- was confident in the team's ability to go on and still win the game yeah Bet- a little bit of a debate around Bettinelli especially on the internet should he have saved you know I thought it was a little bit harsh you know I'm usually quite quick to criticize Bettinelli because I don't think he's that brilliant but I thought that it was a really well-placed header and I think he would have been very, very well to save it. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a great header. got so much power behind it. I think Betts probably isn't helped by, you know, the slow-mo goal line technology replay. I think it bounced off his head. But for me, the really weird thing is if you look at where Betts is trying to, you know, where his hand is and where he's trying to save it, his, his hand is way behind the goal line. So if it did come and hit his hand and he did save it, it would have passed the goal line at that point. So that's the only bit for me which I'm thinking, you know, should he you know, should he his hand placement be a bit further forward? But yeah, it was a it was a great header and not many keepers would have saved it. I did, I think he was deceived by how slow a header it was that he he had time to probably take a couple of steps to to his left to then jump but he kind of like jumped as soon as the header was taken so it kind of was you know as if like it was uh, a Joffrey Archer slower ball has uh, 
has uh, taken him off guard there and you know there's a little <laughs> bit of little bit of criticism there to be had but yeah you're quite right like the, the way he kind of jumps is a little bit weird in that respect in slow but, motion it does look a bit bizarre everything but, looks weird in slow motion yeah so absolutely that. well you know cav as we said up and down for for much of the game and then he pulls that out of the bag you know we're not expecting miracles but that was as they come quite close to under yeah i think my shins are still in pain <laughs> i feel like i'm an eight foot by a spider they're that bad but no it was because from from where i was i thought it was going over because it dipped so much sort of quite late on. I thought, oh, that's just going to go about five yards over the bar. But it dipped him straight into the far post, top corner, sending away and crazy. It was um, a moment, shall we say. It, <laughs> it scene, was a moment. The that, scene that, that in the photos. thing is, like, em- more empty away and limbs are better because there's more space to just have genuine movement. You can, you can <laughs> genuinely get about, which yeah. is usually quite key. That photo that was, that's been generated where there's just so much going on reminds me of that. Do you remember that Manchester New Year's Eve uh, photo where there's like a, a guy passed out on the floor? There's like the ambulance people. Like um... It's like a Renaissance painting yeah. was, my, was my take on it. I mean, what a finish. Oh. Oh, it's lovely. Absolutely lovely. I tweeted that it buttered my croissant. It was, it was so good. You're so full of... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, as you know, they're quite right. They're quite rightly on the on the on the pictures. The the commentators did say that it was all you know. It's 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 a team kind of effort that goal because you can see Brian overlapping, distracting uh, Hadajani from uh, from getting the you know from actually defending it properly, and Cav beautifully just take, takes it inside, and then he's got so much space to pick his spot. And man, does he! What a spot that is. It, it's just the way that he shifts it out of his feet to get the pitch is just unbelievable. And it is a pitching wedge. It is. It's, it was a lovely finish. And I think, you know, when we, with our with our dealings in the transfer window, it feels like we're going for some of those bigger players who, you know, in, in some areas, you know, maybe a bit bit individualistic, but they have these moments of brilliance. And that's why that's why we brought these guys in. That's why, you know, we're, we're spending a bit more money on these guys because... At the end of the day, without that moment of magic, we would have come away with a draw, which wouldn't have been what we deserved. We did deserve to win, you know, with or without that chance. So, uh, yeah, I think it was a it was a wonderful finish, and no less than we deserved. Let's go from a moment of magic to a, a moment of mischief, shall we say? And mm-hmm. uh, Mitrovic has basically rattled the entire league with love to see a roll around on the floor after being maybe struck on the face and and maybe not. Um, we've heard now that the league are going to take no further action because you know there was nothing to it in terms of influencing the game or any of those things, but a little bit much, Farrell. Yeah, I mean, I was cringing uh, watching it um, on TV. There's two things that's going not going well for for Mitrovic and Fulham here. One, it's Alexander Mitrovic. He's you know he's a very very well known footballer, um, and two, it was on live on TV. So you know if it was like. You know, if it was Corley Woodrow in the in the Barnsley game yesterday, no, you know, it wouldn't get the the same sort of traction that it has has done. But you know, it doesn't look good. To be fair to Tom Kenny, he was asked about it straight away after the game, and I think he handled it very very well. He was like, "I'll I'll have to see it again, and I'll I'll you know have a chat chat with him about it." So and that was dealt with like that. So I thought that was very good and very calm sort of um, captain's work from from old TC. Tom, did you uh, enjoy it? Yeah, it was great shit, Alfred. <laughs> <laughs> And, and now everybody is furious. It was it was a strange one, George. It, it was. I think I think he's got to be a bit careful, Mitro. There's a couple of things. The last couple of games was it the Blackburn like fullback who he ends up headbutting as well. Like there's a couple of things he's done, which is obviously great that he's literally fighting for every ball and you know has the amount of energy to fight for 
the ball in the corner in was it like the 85th minute or something which is great but like sometimes you do need to temper it back a little bit so I wonder if Scotty needs to have a, a short word with him shall we say well, we, we will see. We'll see what Scotty does, but I'm sure that Micho isn't going to take too many stern words from too many people. I yeah. think Abubakar Kamara tried that once and then he ended up shipped off to Turkey. So <laughs> that was the end of that. Right, we'll be back after the break to look at Millwall and see what comes up for the Whites in our first midweek test under the lights. Fulhamish has teamed up once again with Beer52 to offer you guys a free crate of craft beer. Just go to beer52.com forward slash Fulham and all you need to do is pay the post and packaging which is 5.95 and you get a free crate of eight delicious craft beers from all around the world there's no minimum commitment you can just buy the free case try the beers and see what you think and if it's not for you you can pause or cancel anytime so go to beer52.com forward slash fulham and claim your free case today welcome back to the fulhamish podcast where we are looking at fulham's midweek game against millwall under the lights at the cottage Seven points, two wins and a draw from Mill's first three games. They beat Sheffield Wednesday with 10 men on Saturday. They beat West Brom in the League Cup midweek. They drew with them in the league the week before that. And they beat Preston on the opening day. This is going to be a big, big test on. Yeah, I think arguably, I know Barnsley was a big tough. But I think now we're in Australia, it's really going to see how well we really are going to do against a team like Millwall because it's ne- it's never an easy game. I know we beat them 3-0 at the Den back in 17-18, but that, we, we could have easily been 2 or 3-0 no down ourselves. Down at half-time, yeah. Yeah, by half-time. So it's going to be very, very tough. You know, we, we know what you're going to get for Millwall. We're going to, they're going to sit back really deep, get the ball up to Matt Smith to try and win knock-ons for the four players to, to work off. So it's going to be a very tough game. You know, Neil Harris has been bigging us up in his post-match interview when they, when they obviously beat Wednesday. So... Yeah, I think it's going to be a very interesting game. I'm mean, interested to see if we set up any differently to try and counteract the way Mill Mill will play. I'm not sure what changes Scott Parker would make, but he might go for I don't know a more physical side, let's say. So it's going to be interesting to see how we fare against these these two games this week against Mill for us. We'll really see sort of how where we are at the moment. I know it's only what three games into the season, so you can't really judge anything. But these the next three games realistically before the international break again, not necessarily to final season, but interesting to see sort of where we are at the moment. I think I think so. And look, the the first thing that springs to mind, and it's obvious, and it's very much the cliche, but Alfie Mawson has been the man that they've we've lauded as this is where we're building our defence around. Now he's getting a test. This is Matt Smith. This is going to be physical. This is going to be a battle in the air. And this is where we see if if Alfie Mawson has the kind of you know cojones, I suppose, to deal with that kind of thing, Farrell. Yeah, so it's going to be a um, completely different test for Alfie Mawson than what he's experienced at Fulham um, in the majority of last season in the Premier League and in the first um, three games he's had with Fulham in the Championship. You know, there were three three different sort of styles of play with, uh, you know, Barnsley and Blackburn and Huddersfield. Now we've got an out-and-out long ball team up to Matt Smith. And to be honest, the, the last time we played um, Matt Smith when he was at QPR... He caused it, us absolute havoc. Exactly, and you know... It's it's going to be a right uh, humdinger for him and a right old battle. And he knows this is championship football. Get ready for it. But, you know, I think that we should hopefully be able to to uh, starve them of possession. We should be able to try and stop the supply if we can, um, which is something we're not very good at is stopping that supply and trying to push and trying to sort of press high to, you know, getting them a decent ball up to the up to the danger man, Matt Smith. So. I think that's something perhaps we should maybe try and change our style just that touch. Absolutely. George, 
I mean, you're the you're the man with the numbers. You're the man with the stats. What have you got for me? What what should we expect from Millwall apart from the blindingly obvious? I mean, the blindingly obvious, really. Um, so we got coming out pretty soon. So similar to the match report graphics, which we've been sharing, um, coming out soon will be our opposition watch graphics. So for uh, each of our oppositions, just a quick set of graphics show. You know what can we actually expect from the guys? So. Obviously, the main man, Matt Smith, he's the target man. We know him well. He seems like kind of the most Millwall kind of signing you could get, really. Like, he's, he's finally there. found his home, and I respect that. Yeah, I mean, the, I think Millwall are a genuinely very good team. Like, say what you want about their playing style, but they were much better than their league position suggested last year. I mean, the underlying numbers suggested they were kind of sixth or seventh best team in the league, and I think that's probably where they're going to end up again. You know, I... I wouldn't be surprised if they end up in the playoff hunt again. But like we said, you know, the style they have is uh, is very obvious. You know, it's for all to see and it's it's lots of long balls. So one of the graphics that will be coming up is, uh, you know, their most common passes. So, you know, which, which of their passes do they attempt the most? And for a lot of it, it's long balls from the back forward and also a lot of wing play. So expect a lot of balls going, you know, long and through the centre or getting it out wide quickly to put crosses in. So... I think Ream and Mawson, assuming they're the uh, they're the centre backs, they're going to have a a lot you know a, a lot of work to do on a, on Wednesday. Absolutely, Farrell. A couple of bits before we get onto them. Neil Harris has decided to play some mind games as usual. His phrase this week: Fulham are a top side. I watched them last night. You look at their team on paper, the players they've got on the bench. It's the best in the league. If they don't get in the top two, it's a travesty. We'll be the underdog, not fancied. People will be writing us off already. All we can go, all we can do is go and enjoy ourselves. Try our best. Play well on the night. Hopefully, get a bit of luck. It's a great game. We've sold out our allocations. The atmosphere will be like it was today, like it was against Preston. Uh, the fans are enjoying watching their team, and the, my job is to make sure the connection is there between the fans and the pitch. He did this the last time we played yeah. them. Uh, this is not something that we have not seen before. He he loves the mind games, uh, uh, Mr. Harris. Um, you know, and I think he he will try. He certainly tried the last time he played, as you correctly said. He was going on about how that Fulham had the money, they've got the resources to to really battle, and they should be doing well. And Millwall will always going to try and play this underdog card and and whatnot. And he can play those cards as much as we want. But you know we're you know we're hopefully that we sh- we're holding all the cards. We're going to be that blackjack dealer. We're going to be the house is always going to going to win at the end of the day. Um, he actually said it yesterday as well that the um, at the Sheffield Wednesday game he he you know they they won brilliant ten men for most of the game. Yeah, uh, very and, he, good. and he came the first thing he actually said was you know they're able to bring on Barry Bannon at halftime and pull the strings for them and we just don't have that and yet they still won the game so I think he's really trying to sort of push that rhetoric that they're always the underdogs and they do actually have a pretty good team around the Warnock card yeah exactly and it works it works for teams like that but that's just not the way Fulham operate and I can't imagine Scott Parker would 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 play up to those mind games at all no Dom I was thinking though does Scott change it for this you know we've seen Bobby Reid come off the bench a couple of times be really explosive and and maybe something that Fulham are going to need to look to do is instead of battling with Millwall in these kind of aerial duels and, and Mitrovic while he'll love that and, and I'm, I'm well aware that that Mitro will absolutely relish going up against two physical centre-halves is there a kind of a room here to, to explore a little bit more about what Bobby Reed could offer off the back that Mitrovic potentially couldn't later on in the game yeah I, th- I think maybe it, I can't see him starting no but I think there, we, I haven't really seen what Bobby Reed's best 
a position or best role is within the scheme. So maybe it might be good to see if we can, if we, if, we, if he comes to the bench, that he can actually offer that for us. But I think, as you say, it could be a matter of that. And Mitrovic actually tires out the defence in the first 60, 70 minutes. And Bobby Reed maybe not comes on for Mitrovic, but comes on if I don't know a Caviera or a Knockart or even a TC, and then comes on and tries to unlock the defence by working off Mitrovic because he could. If we switch it to a four-two-three-one, let's say you could have. Read literally straight off Mitrovic as a four-four-one-one. Yeah, yeah, literally straight off him as opposed to a ten, like in not quite a nine, but you know, in between, in between nine and two. a half. It got a lovely nine and a half. So I think <laughs> that Bobby Reed can offer something here, and I think it would be definitely a good player to use towards the end of the game. Once you know, been tying out that middle defence with you know TC Knocker, Caviero, uh, Mitrovic all running at them. Absolutely. Farrell, would you change anything for the game and go for the same 11? I would go for the same 11. There was certainly question marks about uh, Steffi Johansson uh, going from the Blackburn game. So I didn't think he had a very good game against Blackburn. But man, did he prove himself uh, on the Friday night game. I thought he was one of our, one of our, if not our best player on the night. Um, so he's really, really sort of stepped up. And I think he really needed that because it could have been if he got dropped, it would have taken a lot to get him back into the team, you know, a drop-off form of other players or, or injuries to get him back into the starting eleven. But man, did he prove himself. I can't really see, apart from injuries, any anyone else coming into the, coming back into the team. You know, it might be a personal preference for Parker that he actually prefers Adoy over uh, Sessegnon because, you know, he was only out of the team because of, because of that knock he sustained in training. But, you know, I think we need to think about just playing our own game, playing our own style and, and um, not worry about what's... What's up against us? George, did you make any changes? Pretty much same again. I think, like you said, the only one I could potentially think of would be Adoy for Sessegnon. We know Adoy's got a bit of a leap on him um, and it would be a, it would be a real test for Sess, you know, going up against some of those, the uh, the big Millwall forwards. So that's the only one I might think about. But I really like the midfield balance. I thought, like you said, Johansson offered so much energy and his ability to press high and put pressure on the opposition defenders. I think that's what we need against a team like a team like Millwall. You know, the further we push them back, you know, if they hit long balls from their own box, you know, that's that's fine. So they're not going to get it that far up the pitch. So the more we can push them back, the more we can have, you know, this high energy press that we've been doing, the better. And I think Stefan Johansson is, is critical for that. And if we play a high block, it's not like Matt Smith is going to break our back line and, and beat the offside trap, is he? Absolutely. Time for some questions, and as ever, the post bag is particularly full. There's quite a lot of these about Bobby Reed, um, so I'm going to start with that. A couple, of, one from Oscar, one from Dan Winter. You know, there's loads here, basically, all about how do you get Bobby Reed into this side, and is it bad to have a player of his quality coming off the bench, basically, because is that going to frustrate him? We saw his troubles at Cardiff were basically based around the fact that he couldn't get a game and he was he was quite angry about that and obviously he's come here and he's playing second fiddle to Mitrovic so obviously there's a lot of talent in the squad and he'll know that and understand that but how do you get Bobby Reed into this side and, and can we do it basically? I think we can I think Parker is certainly trying with this 4-1-4-1 formation with you know Kenny and and a Dekadova Reed behind a Mitrovic and I think that's something that we could look to um, especially if um, we might want to play a more fluid attacking line where you, they them two kind of interchange in between each other. I think the difference in between Cardiff and, and, and Fulham in the sense that Bobby Reid would be annoyed that he'd be watching shit football at Cardiff and sitting on the bench and, say, and he could probably influence the game. Whereas at Fulham, he's watching outstanding talent um, ahead of him and he's got to work hard to get into that team. I think he fits more into our style definitely than, than Cardiff 
would be and the only I think the only way at the moment unless there's like um, an injury for Mitrovic and he would play like a lone striker role um, I can't really see him displacing someone you know people like Kenny or, or, or Johansson at the moment Dom do you think he deserves a run in the team or, or do you think that he will earn that over the course of the season I think there's no reason to start him at the current time but I'm thinking that this game against Mill could be one of those games where he does get a chance to start just because you know, it's a midweek game. We've got a big game against Forest, obviously, on Saturday as well. So, you know, maybe Parker will go from will go for this 4-1-4-1 from the start, let's say, because he might want to catch Mill off guard because, you know, they've probably seen we've started quite slowly recently and if they, you know, put put the ball into our box with Matt Smith winning headers from early on but then we can't just that with going full throttle attacking at them, it might, it, might, it might be one of his game plans. So, yeah, I think Bo Reed does have, does have a part to play but, you know, we've won our last two games with pretty much the same system and the same side so I don't see if he sees a reason to change it. George, in, in that kind of regard, we've spoken a little bit off before we started this podcast, about Kearney playing a little bit deeper, playing more like an eight. He was much more leggy in the midfield this week than we've seen him in the past, where he was intercepting things. Do you think there is kind of a long-term solution in that Kearney could be deeper in the pivot, especially if we're looking to dominate the ball in in the middle there and really get the ball out and then have someone like Reed playing further forward as a kind of more of a 10? I think so. And I think that's, I think that's to be honest, that's, that's TC's happy place. Is that that kind of deep line playmaker, that kind of quarterback role? You saw it, you know, as the game broke down a little bit, he dropped deeper and deeper. And, you know, I felt he did overlap a little bit too much with Arta in that regards, but clearly he's happy there. Um, but when it comes to Reed, I, I don't see any need to force him into the squad at all. I think it would upset the balance. I think if you did bring him in for Johansson, you'd lose a lot of defensive cover and we'd we'd really struggle in that regard. So, I think these days you don't just get one first team and one system. You know, it's a it's a long old season. If we're playing high energy, high intensity press, we're going to need lots of options, and we're going to need different kind of you know tactical solutions to different oppositions. You know, against big guys where we might struggle for possession, you know, it probably wouldn't make sense playing. But against the guys who are going to sit back, we know we're going to dominate possession. Actually, in those scenarios, it might make sense to add another guy upfield. And I think Reed offers, you know, a brand new, uh, a brand new dynamic to us. You know, we haven't really had this. I, I kind of see him most as like a number ten, like second striker kind of role. Um, and we haven't had that for a long time. We haven't had the option to really play those two up front and one person behind Mitrovic. So I don't think he's the answer for every game. And I don't. I certainly don't. Well, if it was me, I'd if I was Parker, I'd keep the same eleven against Millwall but he, it's a great person to have as an option and I don't think we should be trying to squeeze him in just to get the best 11 players on the pitch you know the team balance is far more important the one thing that I would pick up on that you said uh, about sort of you know changing style and trying Apart to from your direct diss to Luciano Vieto who was literally an SS slash 10 but didn't play it so well did he last season unfortunately chance, did he? yeah so one thing I want to pick up is that like playing that slightly different style with slightly different players is what Jukanovic utilised very very well in that hit in his first full season when we used to rotate um, the left winger and the striker depending upon which you know which team we were playing or who needs a rest or whatnot because it used to be a case where one week it would be um, it was Aite and Chris Martin and then the next week it would be Piazon and I can't remember. Was uh, it or... Yeah, exactly. Luka even played through the middle as a false nine at times. Yeah, there was... Luka would do that. But it used... And that, yeah, he used to sort of like 
change up who those two players would be week in, week out. And, you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that we might see, you know, Ayite playing out there and Bobby Reid in the middle. You know, it, it could happen that way. Absolutely. Right. A couple of questions about Stephen Sessignon, Louis Wishlade here. Also, James Peters. Is Stephen Sessignon basically a temporary or a permanent solution? And how do you see him contributing? Do you see this like a rotation or do you think this is going to be there will be a first choice right back and it will be Stephen Sessignon? George, I'll start with you. I think you're going to need rotation. 46 league games plus hopefully a nice cup run as well. That's that's not an amount of games that one player can play on their own. So we're going to have to rotate around. For me... I think from what we've heard, you know, in the uh, in the Tony interview, Stephen is is certainly being eyed up to play a lot, which I think is really good news. In an ideal world, I'd love to see him get lots of minutes and Christie be the backup right back. So when Stephen's tired, Christie comes in. Then as soon as Steve's back ready, he comes back into the pitch. The same thing, boys? Or Well, it's, it's a difficult question to answer because we've only seen Steven Sessegnon in one professional game so far. Yes, he did very, very well for large parts of it, but let's not get ahead of ourselves here. You know, yeah, he's, he's 19 years old and that's still fairly young for, for this level of football. Um, the other Sessegnon was obviously very different because he started his professional career way back when he was about you know, 11 years old. And you look at the other people that we have at our disposal at right back. We have Dennis Adoy, who's, you know, almost now a veteran of this of this league. And so, and Cyrus Christie is, you know, is a very capable right back. He's probably lost his confidence a bit. And we did sign him for three million pounds from a promotion chasing Middlesbrough. That's no mean feat. And he's obviously worked his way up. So it's lovely options to have. I think we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves because after one game of, of Steven Sessegnon. Fun question for you, Dom. I know you like a fun question. Yeah, I don't like ones actually about football. No. Blue or orange WKD? Like, yeah, blue or orange WKD. I look forward to knockout <laughs> goal celebrations as much as the goals themselves. Who knows what he'll do when he actually scores. What past slash present Fulham player had the most entertaining goal celebration? I just love Mitrovic because he just goes absolutely mental whenever he scores. I do like the hand the, thing. The Diamante yeah. camera. I yeah. think Luca Tony started it, mate, but... Yeah, to be fair, you're you're completely correct, though. It was the loco, wasn't it? Loco. Yeah, yeah. Everyone says I'm crazy. Yeah. Um, and I kind of like Mitrovic's celebrations because um, he just goes mental when he does. I mean, I felt like some of our strikers just sort of, I don't know, if you take Burbsworth, for example, yeah, I felt like he just didn't care. Yeah, <laughs> so but I enjoyed the time he scored. Um, <laughs> the, the one I hated the most was was actually Burbsworth winning. It was just pass me the ball. I'm just like, shut up. Um, but not, not, that was fun, though, to be fair. Yeah, exactly. I'm, but Mitrovic has got a reputation of literally getting fans involved in the celebration, so I'm a huge fan of that. Any, anything that involves a player going into an away end. But like Billy Sharp at Sheffield United away mm. at Bournemouth last week was class. That was class. So I think any player that ends up in the away end is what's needed. Farrell, your favourite Fulham celebration? I'm trying to sort of um, narrow it down. Narrow it down, because there's quite, quite a few from back back in the day. Obviously, we had Sabah with his mask, which was, was just that. I was bizarre. Um, I used to Lewis Bermorte liked to try and mix up his little bit you know he used to um, be cheeky with his celebrations there was the one at, I think it was uh, Blackburn at home all those years ago and he he uh, crawled to, like, to the corner flag and, and mimed doing a wee wee which was which was nice I mean remember Steve Malbronk used to try and tr- have his own little trademark celebrations he started off with the the aeroplane and then went to a sort of raise the roof kind of thing for a season um, but he wasn't exactly the most charismatic character in the world. I was probably trying to say, like, no, no, I'm fun. I'm yeah, I am really fun. George, who you got? I'd go either Zoltan Gira, because no, he used to do some, do some cool flips. And for me, Mladen Petric, 
he didn't score much, but I really loved his kind of like bow and arrow celebration. Oh, yeah. I always thought that was really cool, and I'd always try and recreate that on FIFA. My favourite ever was Fabrice Fernandez's aeroplane with his tongue out. Oh, yeah. To do, you know, obviously, the, the one that springs to mind is that free kick against Man United oh, in the lovely. FA Cup. Um, but that was his, and I remember doing that as a kid constantly. That was I just copied that. I was like, I'm having this one now. There's, there's one which I'm, I'm a um, bit sad that we didn't see well at all was the Shefki Kuchi flop if you remember from his Blackburn yeah. days which looked like oh my god he's gonna like rupture his stomach if he lands on his tummy even harder remember yeah. I remember reading a blog from um Morris Foltz because he was he scored a goal well he scored that 15,000 goal volts. um and he was talking about it and he was like I've scored a goal and I never thought I would ever score a goal. So I didn't know what to do in that situation. So my tongue just stuck, stuck out and then I flopped on the floor. And then he was talking about his next goal, which I think was at uh, Aston Villa, where he was then was like, we were like me and my friends talking about before the game, like, what if he score again today? Because he was playing in that sort of more advanced midfield role at the time and he was getting goal scoring chances. And they're like, OK, I'll try and do something different this time. And he said... I just I scored and I didn't know what to do again, so my tongue came out again and I flopped on the floor. <laughs> it was just a just became the iconic vault celebration. Yeah. <laughs> right, sensible question for you, George, because I know that you have done some research. Sam James says, was Rodak's distribution while at Rotherham anywhere near as bad as Bettinelli's? It's so frustrating to watch him kick it out of play or to an opposition player six to seven times out of ten. Now, it is annoying watching that happen. I don't think anyone will dispute that Marcus Bettinelli's distribution isn't particularly good. But the big question is, is Marek Rodak's any better? So I saw this question come in. I thought it was a really interesting one. So it's one of those you're like, oh, actually, I don't don't know the answer. Yeah. So I, I did a bit of digging. So basically pulling out for different keepers, what possess, uh, what percentage of their passes go long? And the ones that do go long, how successful are they? So comparing Rodax Rotherham season to Betts' season in the championship. Um, one of the things that comes out for me, so... Definitely, it'll be a playing style thing, but uh, Rodak, like something like ninety-eight percent of his passes went long. Um, you know, clearly That's Rotherham. Definitely a playing style. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly Rotherham like to get the ball forward, and if Fulham are going to play this, you know, uh, build play from deep, Rodak is going to have to learn to be comfortable with the ball at his feet. Um, and be able to pass it short because that's that's the way we like to play. So I think you know we haven't really seen any example of how you know confident Rodak is in that regard. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes to you know successful, so you know how many of your long balls actually hit the right person. Now obviously you've got to take this with a bit of pinch of salt because you can hit the best pass possible, but if your guy completely misses it or gets out jumped with a header, you know that will look bad from your point of view, but. Uh, Betts' uh, success percentage is about 45%, which I thought was actually kind of higher than I expected. And looking at a keeper who's, you know, probably known as the best um, in distributor the in the world as Edison at Man City, he also has 45%. So, you know, there's you've obviously got to take it with a bit of pinch of salt. Um, however, clearly, goalkeeper distribution is a really difficult skill. You know, it's not easy to do a long ball and hit it at your uh, exactly where you want where you want it to land. And also, you're only as good as the guy who's receiving it as well. So, from me, you know, there's nothing suggesting that Rodak should get in the team for his distribution. And also, whilst I, I certainly don't think Betts' distribution is the best part of his game, and he can and should improve it, you know, I, I think we need to keep in mind that it is a difficult skill. 
Um, and no matter what keeper we had out there, they'd never be you know 100% accurate with their with their long balls. Absolutely. Well, I think with distribution, the point you've got to look at is they haven't grown up as a football or goalkeeper learning to do this, if that makes sense. They've only had to implement it into their game in what maybe the last five seasons or so. So I think yeah. if, you, if you take it in 10, 15 years' time, most goalkeepers will probably be very good footballers and will be able to distribute the, distribute the ball out very well. But I think one thing you've got to take into consideration is, especially in England, they haven't been brought up being taught how to yeah. distribute the ball out wide, distribute it to whoever. So I think it's one thing you've got to take into consideration. I think Bettinelli should stay in goal because just simply because of his shot-stopping ability. Because, I mean, as a goalkeeper, that's his main priority, mm-hmm. to stop the ball going in the back of his net. So I think, for me, I don't see the need to bring in Rodri. As you said, he's been playing a different style, so he's not used to, you know playing the way we want to play I mean the only argument you could make is bring Fabri in because he's probably used yeah. to playing that sort of stuff best keeper we got as well so good good knowledge well good research for that George I've got two more questions and both of them are reasonably fun this is from Harry Stevenson I'm going to come to you with it Farrell he says when was the last time you saw a player assist a goal for the opposition as well as Bakuna did his example is Sasha Reith's clearance to hit our own oh, crossbar God. to set up Jelovic in 2014 oh, that was like I, I did a I did a small piece for for someone recently was like what is the small sort of um, occurrence that happened that had like wide um, uh, repercussions from it and I, I had a bit of thinking I was asking some friends about it and one one of my mates um, came up with that one because it led to the goal that you know kind of ultimately got us relegated it kind of almost confirmed we relegation were it up, weren't we? yeah so that's one I can't I mean. I can't really think of one off the top of my head, really, the apart from that, that one. The thing that came to mind for me was Kevin McDonald setting up Ryan Manning at Loftus Road. The oh, year we yeah. drew one all where he just literally played a perfect through ball into into Manning's path for him to round the keeper and stop home what would become his only goal for Queen's Park <laughs> Rangers. Um, so, so that was good. Did anyone see the thing in the champion... Oh, I think it was in League One this week where someone tried to do a dummy back to their goalkeeper and ended up like basically telepathically leading the ball to the to the opposition striker who just slotted home immediately um well worth a look if you can see anyone else got any um, good ideas about... no i'm just still trying to work out what bakun is trying to do no i have no idea because uh, he... he's he's by the byline so he can just kick the ball out for a corner but he whips it straight back into the mixer into perfect Mitrovic oh, territory. He's definitely yeah. not trying to do that. I know. To be he, fair he, to he, if you see the way he hits the ball, he is trying to, I think, flick it back across. Over his head. I yeah, think. yeah. But also, I was thinking about this. If there was VAR in the championship, I swear nearly every single goal by Mitrovic would get disallowed. There was up. a tiny, it was a tiny bit of climbing, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. But I feel like in any, in any circumstances, if there ever was VAR, and I got to hope they don't bring it ever to the championship, that. He would just get so many of his goals disallowed just because he would be climbing on half the centre half most of the time. It was that goal of that winner, yeah, that that winner against Preston a couple of years ago. I still look at that goal and I think that was a definite push. I mean, that defender can't have done that by himself. Definitely, that would have been ruled out. Of course, absolutely right. Last question. I'm going to start with you, George. This is from Gersdal, and I really apologise. I've probably murdered that. Um, It says, "How did you end up supporting Fulham?" Oh, good question. Um, so for me, um, probably a little bit different to a, a few of you guys. So when I was younger, I was never really that into football. Um, I kind of sort nothing's of... Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed, no. I kind well, I of, Dom football, doesn't so. like football. Yeah. Dom doesn't like football. I kind of sort of followed Man United because they were winning everything. And, you know, as, as a kid, 
you're uh, you're kind of drawn to that a bit. Um, and then uh, a friend of mine uh, took me along to a Fulham game. It was Fulham Man City, uh, the year they bought Robinho, um, who didn't play that game. That was the first game he didn't play. Uh, it was one all. Ben Jarni scored and Jimmy Bullard scored the uh, equaliser. Um, and yeah, basically all it took was one trip to the cottage and I was hooked. And yeah, I've never really looked back since. Fantastic. What a day. Story. What about you, Dominic? Uh, well, no one in my family actually is a Fulham fan before me. So I was I went to primary school in Kingston and uh, I think they did the training and they used to get discounted tickets. So I I hadn't really followed anything. I was like in, I was interested in you know, like international football. I've been watched. I watched like the World Cup and Euro 2004, but I didn't really have a, a club team because my dad's basically really an Ashford United fan. So there wouldn't be a Premier League team. I'm necessarily interested. Thankfully, didn't follow my granddad in sport in Chelsea. So yeah, and then yeah, got, got discounted tickets. I think. It was Fulham 2, Leicester 2, I want to say. I think Bermonte scored twice. I think it was the Dabstock, I think it was the Dabs.com year, is mm. what I think. And yeah, then I think the season that we beat Chelsea at home was the first year I've had a season ticket. And yeah, I've been to a season ticket ever since then. And you've been to everything since about. <laughs> yeah, pr- pretty much, yeah. Why are you, Farrell? Then the family and the blood. Uh, I just used to play Fulham, of course. <laughs> 100, 150 appearances, <laughs> three goals. <laughs> No, it's, it's about your ratio. Dad, basically, he actually he actually started off life as a Spurs fan, um, classic North London. Um, but he his his um, stepdad was was a Fulham fan and, and took him to, to games. And he used to go along with his his uh, school friend when he was like nine or ten years old to games. Um, and yeah, just keeping it in the family. I mean. As we spoke about last week, now there's 300 of us all taking up the you block. Literally, are the entire Johnny Haynes. <laughs> yeah, now, exactly. Block DL is should be just called Block Monk. <laughs> you should have really taken M, really, shouldn't you? Yeah. It would have, it would I don't want to move further away. No, no, you'd be fair away. Um, in the 1950s, Jerry Collins wandered over from Ireland and um, decided that he liked Johnny Haynes, and <laughs> that was it. And then his three sons are all Fulham, and then all of their children are Fulham. So I'm a, a long line of Lily Whites. Um, but I remember my dad telling me a story the other day about the way I used to just, when he used to bring me down to Fulham, I didn't really have any interest in it. I was about three, but they used to just let us run up and down at the front of the yeah. riverside. And that was, that was it. We used to leg it. And then, oh yeah, before think, they put all the seats in, I remember that actually. I think I was about five when we moved to the Hammy End and I used to sit on the rails. That's all our questions, which means that the only thing left to do is name this podcast. I'm coming to you, Farrell Monk. Uh, I'm going to go with one that I read out earlier, and that is Winning with Worldies. Winning with Worldies. Hope that continues on Wednesday. Long long may it continue. Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Right, that is it for us from Fulhamish. We will be back post-Millwall with a Fulhamish extra that looks at that game and looks forward to the Forest game at the weekend. What's left for me to do is say thank you to George Singer. Thank you, Jack. Thank you to Don Betts. How are you, mate? Thank you to Farrell Monk. Thank you. I hope you're going to turn up in one of those new... Hawaiian carnival shirts that they're now selling in the club shop. I might Beautiful. have to get one. Yeah. I did did think about it. They, they are, improved the colourway. It might be. They are awful, but <laughs> I do. Like I wonder them. what they're trying to capitalise on by any chance. It's weird, isn't it? It's no idea what they were trying to get out with that one. We've been Fulhamish. Please make sure you keep sharing the pod, keep subscribing, keep getting involved on all the social media platforms. We'll see you at Millwall and afterwards. Take care. You what?